Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Crystal Clodcast. I forgot where I was going at the beginning <laughs> of that sentence. Uh, some of the podcasts I do, I start by introducing the name of the podcast. Some of them I introduce by going, hey, hello everyone, it's me, Laura K. Buzz, and we're here with the podcast that we're doing. I do too many podcasts. I forget how I introduce each individual one. Uh, I'm Laura, as I kind of alluded to a second ago. Who am I here with today? Mia. <laughs> Hello. Um, you can... Uh, <laughs> I'm completely fuddled now. Um, you can find me on Twitter at OmiaGod. That's what I normally say, isn't yeah. it? I think that. that's what you normally say. Yeah. Retta. Hello. Hello. I am Retta, and you can find me on Twitter at SuperRetta. Or pretty much anywhere, actually. I'm that name everywhere. So anyone wanting to get into podcasting, there's a skill you'll uh, learn that you can probably witness me doing when I introduce podcasts, which is I really have no idea where a sentence is going when I start it. But if you say it in the right kind of rhythm, with the right kind of confidence, it sounds like you know what you're going to say next. Yeah. And you can just kind of talk <laughs> until you find where you're going. This is honestly the secret to podcasting. I remember doing that at Nine Worlds last year on the Saga panel, where mm-hmm. like I would look down the panel and be like, anyone else got anything to say? And if no one did, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Well, I'm going to make a point now. And what I've been thinking, and at this point, I'd be like, I don't know where I'm going. It's like, it's like I will pick a topic and I will start saying words until I latch onto something that sounds like a sentence. And then it may sound like I rambled to get there, but at least I found where I was going. Exactly. It wasn't dead air. Someone, like, people had things to listen to. <laughs> See, the, the, the thing that, like, if we were a bit more professional, we would do is allow the dead air to happen while we think of our point and edit it out in post. But you can so much more easily just sound like you're talking. Mm-hmm. It requires much less work. So, <laughs> so this is this has been the art of podcasting with the Crystal Clodcast. Bye, everyone. Um, <laughs> this on this week's episode of the Crystal Clodcast, we are going to be talking about episode seventy nine, Super Watermelon Island. Episode 80, Gem Drill. Episode 81, Same Old World. Episode 82, Barn Mates. And episode 83, Hit the Diamond. Now, depending on what source you watch this from, this is either right at the beginning of season three or the last episode of last episode might have been the beginning of season three. Depending on whether you watch it in DVD release order or in TV air date order. We're going with Wikipedia's episode list, as always. It may, You may or may not agree with it, but it's the list we committed to, so that's the one we're using. It's the most accessible list. I feel yeah. like that one makes the most we- sense. Wikipedia is like, okay, we will follow this order and watch the episodes in this order, please. This will make it work. Mm. Um, or at least do as we say. We are the gatekeepers of Steven Universe episode <laughs> orders, apparently. Um, so we're going to start this episode off with episode 79, Super Watermelon Island. Now, I feel like Ratter might be worth starting us off on this one, because somehow this is one episode of Steven Universe that Ratter never saw, or if she saw, she never took in. I had absolutely no recollection of this episode whatsoever. And it's weird, because you know the episode before... And after this. Yeah, it's just this one episode that I don't remember. But I must have watched it because I watched Steven Universe with Mia and Mia's seen it. I remember this one because I it's, remember enjoying it. So it's, it's, oh, like, yeah. I had no idea. I wondered where the watermelons had gone. It's really weird because we knew this was coming for a while. I don't remember when it came up, whether it was on air or not. But we had this realisation of like, oh no, yeah, there's that episode coming up with the watermelon island. And Reddit was just like... 
What? Yeah, it's like, it's like what is that? Like, yeah, Stephen leads a resistance of watermelons, <laughs> and Malachite <laughs> emerges, and Retta just like, nah. Yeah, I had absolutely no recollection of it, like, whatsoever. I don't know how I thought that... Maybe you fell asleep and I just kept watching it anyway. That that was our theory <laughs> yesterday when we were watching this, is maybe just, like, sleep and or drugs might have been involved, but... That in, makes me sound terrible! As, as in painkillers, we should add. Painkilling medication as opposed to uh, Rutter was not, like, taking a cheeky snort of cocaine. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, just for anyone listening, like the police, definitely so, not. Yeah, if, if the police are listening to the Crystal Clawcast 17 episodes in, being like, ooh, 17 episodes in... That's where we're gonna get them admitting to their drug use. So, Retta, I, I, this might be a good place to start. What did you think of this episode in general before we dig into the specifics? It's really interesting, and I really like it. And there's so many different watermelons. Mm-hmm. I know. So, I do want to dig into all the different types of watermelons in a minute because I have some like law questions. Yeah, yeah I, have I have some, some too. We'll, we'll get there in a second. So. The episode opens up with a silent or at least non-verbal opening where Stephen seemingly wakes up inhabiting a watermelon Stephen, not having deliberately attempted to do this. He just accidentally wakes up yeah. in a watermelon Stephen. I yeah, like cause... that it's... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. How dare you? I like that it's not immediately apparent that it is Stephen, but mm. from his body language, you can kind of tell yeah. that... It's, it's interesting that, like, it's his body language and the fact that he's unaware of the customs of the island on which he's woken that mm. imply he is our Stephen. Yeah. And he searches for his belly button gem. Oh, yes, that's a really good point. At the yes. very beginning, he kind of looks round and it, then he, like, looks and feels his belly and he's kind of like, where the hell's I my gem? I didn't pick up on that. That's a really good observation. Yeah. But it's really, it's really subtle ways of signalling non-verbally that this is our Stephen... Yeah. In a watermelon body. And seemingly the watermelon Stevens do have a language. And Stephen, when he tries to talk, it does pronounce words and sentences in watermelon Stephen. Yeah, because like the kind of priest type watermelon seems to be able to communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they seem to have like a society and a language and things. So this is probably a good point to talk about offspring variation in watermelon Stevens. This island has Horses, dogs, gender variants, and babies grow. <laughs> yeah, that not all of the babies have the watermelon Stephen afro. Like some of them are just like plain watermelon people. Yeah, like are these second generation watermelon Stevens? But, like, are they having to plant their own seeds to do this? Is that how they procreate? So, like, my my assumption is that they that generations happen based on like. When one dies, you plant the seeds and more grow. I like that interpretation. That, that's, that's that's my assumption, and it explains well. that whole like cart of babies that's brought round is presumably all the seeds just naturally go to the earth. New watermelon people just naturally grow, mm. and someone in the community's job is to harvest up, is to round up the babies and be like, "Hey, you've not got a baby. Here's a baby." <laughs> that sounds kind of dark. Like let's it harvest does. the babies. <laughs> it's really kind of sweet though. That little. Um, scene they have where someone just comes up with a baby cart and goes, it's it's for you! <laughs> and the parents are really excited. It's quite yeah, sweet. But it is. Like, it's understandable the variation of, like, different different pollination and things happen with seeds and a new plant will be different from the plant that came before it. However, it's hard to explain how a person ends up creating a horse. <laughs> yeah. I, mm. 
How do you get a watermelon horse or a watermelon dog from Stephen? Uh, I think Uncle did... Grandpa did it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like, did horse and dog DNA get into the sea? Was this sort of like splicing going on? Were they like experimenting? Maybe they planted some watermelon seeds in horse manure. Well, that was my thought, is was it, say, manure and or pee? Yeah, see? <laughs> that just kind of affected the growing of these okay. watermelons, maybe? So was there a horse on the island? Did they kidnap a horse? At some point, maybe they got some horse manure shipped in. You don't know. So the point being, this is we we might refer to this as Watermelon Stephen Island, but it's not entirely Watermelon Stevens. There is a reasonable degree of variation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the way that this island decides who on the island is going to get sacrificed to Malachite. Who's the last one to put their <laughs> finger on their nose? It's such a childish... Where yeah, like I never picked up on it before. I couldn't work out why they were picking the finger I on the nose. I thought they like, were picking the noses at first. I was trying to work out is it some kind of like symbolic thing, but I eventually worked out it's a thing kids do. It's the mm-hmm. oh, I touched my nose, not me, not not it. Yeah, it's like, not me. It's like ah, oh, you were the last one. Ah, uh, <laughs> you, you don't get to ride in the front of the car, or in this case, you get sacrificed <laughs> to malachite. Mm-hmm. Um. There's an episode in American Dad where Stan keeps getting caught out because he forgets to do the nose thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems to be more an American thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've never come across it other than in pop culture. Same. I think so, the same. Um, so when our Stephen is accidentally picked to be sacrificed, they paint a star on his chest, presumably to be the, the T-shirt star. So Yeah, it's a reference to... The original Stephen. Yeah, who... I wonder how they view the original Stephen. Well, the impression I get here is that Malachite... Presumably the reason that they're painting the star on is in the hopes that they will convince Malachite that they are giving Malachite the real Stephen. Yeah. And Malachite is very eagerly like, I want Stephen. And I like that idea. It's like we're giving you what you want as best we can. Yeah, and my assumption is that they like they presumably view Stephen with a relative degree of authority because we came from you, you gave us life. He's kind of their god. He's kind of their god. And like he stopped the big watermelon war and was like, No, go think about what you've done. <laughs> Does that mean they view Malachite as a god as well, though? To be I, sacrificing? I feel like they view Malachite as the devil. Honestly, yeah, that's my interpretation. It's, like, it's the evil god. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Malachite comes up from the ocean, and presumably this is like a semi-regular thing. Is the island the the be wherever you are island? I think so. This it is has a I... warp pad, and yeah. it has the little um, like just underneath the ridge. There's like a little circle thing where Stephen ran down in the bubble. Mm. So jumping ahead slightly to kind of try and answer that, they do refer to the name of this island. They call it Mask Island. Okay. And I did have a thought about like, is that potentially a reference to the intent of the island that might tie into the Be Whoever You Are episode, which is, like, you know, stop wearing a mask, be whoever you are. Mm. Like, you know, don't hide who you are. That's what a mar- uh, removing a mask is about. Potentially, mm. that's the intent and meaning of Mask Island. Yeah, that's not something I had it, thought of, but makes a lot of it sense. It might be a logical leap, but that's why I assume it is the Be Whoever You Are Island. Mm. I didn't know what else Mask Island could be referring to, but they use the term Mask Island three or four times in this episode to refer okay. to where where the watermelons mm, are. That's cool. Um, so yeah, Malachite comes up from the ocean 
chained down and seems to to maybe recognise that this is Stephen. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. she recognises on some form that this is at least tied to Stephen. Yeah, I think but, she believes it is Stephen. Yeah, but this has some is, tie to Yeah, this. this is not just another watermelon sacrifice, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so, Stephen wakes up, and we find out a little bit of, of what's going on with, with the cluster. Apparently there will first be f- tremors every 15 minutes, then quakes, then the cluster is the way that the cluster emerging is going to go, apparently. Yeah, like a countdown, basically. Yeah, we're going to get some hint that it's coming. Mm. Um, so, basically, Stephen lets everyone know, hey, Malachite is on this island. Like, you might want to go there and deal with Malachite before she breaks free. Cause... I like that side of me. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> I like that they immediately believe him. There's mm. no questioning, like, how could you believe that? Like, yeah. just, they're just like, oh, okay, we'll go deal with that. Yep. Cool. Yeah, they're, they're very much, thank you for letting us know, let's go deal with this. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is the fear of what if Lapis can't hold on, we should probably deal with this sooner than later. Mm. Um, all but Stephen and Peridot go to fight, um, and they're basically left behind to man the drill, and so that Stephen can say, stay safe. Don't go anywhere, stay here, stay safe. And Stephen finds a way to circumvent the rules. Mm-hmm. He's he's technically still safe. He's, yeah, just... he's technically not gone anywhere. He just goes back to sleep and conveniently mind melts back into a watermelon, Stephen, to go fight, but also be safe at home and not break the rules. I loved um, Stephen saying that he was explaining to Peridot that Lapis was tired. And she says um, fighting with Jasper was making her tired and... Peridot says, just being on a ship with Jasper was making me tired. <laughs> I like that too, yeah. She shows that Peridot clearly doesn't like Jasper, yeah, like, even when they were on the same side. It's just like... They were work colleagues. Yeah, we are work colleagues. <laughs> I do friends. not like this person. Um, so then we get one of the one of my favourite fights in Steven Universe that is not as long as I would have liked, is the Malachite and Exa- uh, Alexandrite yes. fight. Mm-hmm. Uh there are some really, really awesome moments in it. My favourite is still that arrow that's made up of pearl, amethyst, and garnets. Like, yeah. light versions combining into one arrow and yeah. snapping through. There's, like, the... I like that we see Malachite has both the helmet that, um... Uh, what's her Jasper. face? Jasper. Uh, like, Jasper's helmet, but she also has uh, Lapis's wings. She can make, like, ice mm-hmm. walls. There's a lot of really cool things she can do combat-wise. Yeah. It's really cool to see the kind of combat abilities of different characters just mashed together and just completely going at each other. It's yeah. I also like that Malachi is the same size as Alexandrite because Jasper is obviously twice the size of a regular gem, like mm. the rest of the gems. So they have to fuse together like as basically as four gems in one. Just to defeat Malachite, which is just too... I also think um, part of that is because we've seen that Lapis is very, very powerful. That I too. was thinking the same. So I think it's like Lapis counts for more than a single gem in terms of power level. So when they're all together, they are quite evenly matched. Yeah. Um, so while this is all going on, Stephen goes to rally the troops and uh, basically tries to... to uh, 
to summon up an army to fight uh, for the, the Watermelon Island. Now, in my notes, that's not how I wrote it. In my notes, I wrote, Stephen <laughs> rallies troops, because he gives a rather impassioned speech that we don't understand, where he's like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I couldn't decide when watching this, like... Do the other melons understand him, or is it just kind of like... Is it a tone thing? Yeah. They're just like, we can see you're passionate, we'll come yeah, obey you. We get the gist of what you're saying. I got the feeling they understood him, and I think yeah. it was just like an amusing thing that the audience won't understand this impassioned speech, but we know it was impassioned. <laughs> yeah, it's like he doesn't actually know the watermelons properly, but he managed to inspire them all to join and fight for his mm. cause. So one thing I really like about this episode when everyone goes off to war, a nice flipping on an expected gender trope, the mum goes off to fight in the war while the the dad stays home with the baby. Yep, I was, I admit that note as well. It's it's one of those really nice things that most shows just don't ever think to do because Mm -hmm. it's a really easy default Mm -hmm. to fall into, but it's just, no, who's to say that a society of sentient watermelons (laughs) would be a... Uh, patriarchal society where the men are considered exactly. combat people, mm-hmm. and we know it's a dad because well, he's wearing a tie. I had a really, <laughs> I had a thought on this. All of these watermelon people basically come from Stephen in the first place. Yeah. Stephen, male, defensive and caring. Therefore, potentially in this watermelon society, that is the role that men fall into. Like I'm using men and women very loosely oh, here yeah. because they presumably do not actually have genitalia or uh, gender but basically it's like the masculine ones are the caregivers because their role model for a masculine figure is Stephen who is a caring probably would be stay at home dad in the situation and I wonder if the female um, is the gems I feel like mm-hmm. that may well be the case yeah that's what I, th- I thought you were going there yeah. I was just like yeah because well, exactly. if because when the big war happened against the Watermelon Stevens when they were first present, it's the gems that go in fighting with weapons. Mm-hmm. Which would explain potentially yeah. the women go off to war while the men stay home and care yeah. for the I, kids. I like that reading of it. One thing I also wanted to mention, just before I forget about it, um, when Alexandrite mm. like, dives in to fight Malachi, it's Amethyst's mouth is the one that roars. And I recognise it because in the episode when we first meet Alexandrite, Amethyst is, is, yeah, she's like, I'm hungry! I'm hungry! (laughs) And it's that mouth is the one that roars when they're going to battle, so I just found it really Mm. fun that it's Amethyst that's roaring. (laughs) So, I I have an interesting thing to mention here, I think. Um, Sure. I said, I've written down Jasper here. Obviously, Malachite's still fused, but you can tell it's a Jasper sentence. Um, mm. Talks about how she can now see the value of fusion. Like, mm. oh, I see the value of fusion, I'm so powerful, etc. Within a sentence of that, she refers to herself as an abomination still. And I think there's a really interesting uh, con- uh, contrast or... Um, conflict present there where she sees the power that fusion can present to her and that it's not just the two of you combined there's something more granted by fusion Mm -hmm. but she still has a lot of ingrained baggage of this is something forbidden something wrong something bad and even though this is powerful and it's getting me what i want 
I'm still an abomination for doing this. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was also wondering if there's some of Lapis in there. With Lapis thinking, like, we are this horrible, messy fusion that yeah, don't poss- like each other. Possibly, and... yeah. Because I think the sentence used is there's only room for one abomination on this island or something, yeah, something, something like to that, that effect. Mm. Um, one thing I wanted to... One, I wanted to ask, basically. Um, Stephen can only control the watermelon Stephen. Yeah. When he's asleep. Is that a Stephen thing? Or was Rose the same? Did she lead her armies by not actually being on the front line but sending in her people? I don't know. I feel like the impression we've got so far is that Rose was on the battlefield from Pearls. We, we very much see her wielding swords and things, uh, mm-hmm. running into battle side by side with, with Pearl. She had um, lions to ride into battle with. She had her big flag. I get the impression she was on the front lines. Perhaps this is a thing that Stephen will be able to do while awake down the line. Yeah, I was thinking maybe it's because it's obviously it's his subconscious that's dealing mm. with it, not his well, conscious mind. To be fair, like gems don't need to sleep, so presumably mm. there would be different requirements for Rose to do something that Stephen has to be asleep for. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, but like for now, it does seem like that is a, requ- a prerequisite for Stephen because it was the same when he melded with uh, Lapis at the bottom of the yeah. ocean. Yeah. Same when he <clears throat> goes into Lars's body. Yeah, he seems to have some sort of ability to kind of empathize and connect with people's minds while he's asleep. Maybe it's because he doesn't actually need to sleep, so his brain's just focusing instead I think of he sleeping. Needs to sleep. I think he needs to. But sleep. he might not. He might. Maybe he doesn't. The older he gets. Or yeah, something. that's what I, I was know. thinking. Like it could be that it's. Less needed, but he'll still sleep anyway. But... I don't personally buy into that theory, but like you might be right. Who knows? We don't know. Let's ask Ronaldo. I bet Ronaldo. Yeah, Ronaldo he's, uh, would know. he's ahead on everything. Um, so many watermelon Stevens lose their lives aiding the fight, uh, stumbling, distracting, and basically just trying to buy some time for Alexandrite and trying to distract Malachite enough that Alexandra can get back up on her feet and prepare to get back in the fight. Yeah, they're inconveniencing her. They're obviously not going to win. Yeah. It, it's a really interesting way of abstracting quite... What is, I guess, quite a gruesome battle in that a lot of people lose their lives getting mowed down, but mm. because the visual symmetry is them just popping into segments of watermelon... It's a nice kids' show abstraction born out of the need to to not show any bloodshed. Yeah, like if these were animals or something, I don't think we would get this. Well, we actually mentioned this before when we were talking about the Be Wherever You Are island, which mm-hmm. so it's the same bloody place as well. But um, we mentioned that oh. it's very gruesome, but because the visuals don't necessarily represent that, they because can get away with it. Monster. Yeah, because they fought an invisible monster, but he says, use your fish murdering skills. Steven Universe is very good at finding ways to show violent encounters without showing gruesome visuals to accompany them, mm-hmm. but still giving you the impression of the battle ongoing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the Hitchcock effect of you fill in the blanks in your mind, yeah. but technically you don't see anything that violent. Exactly. Um, so the three gem light arrow is shot and Jasper and Lapis temporarily defuse. Um, I said, Why did I say temporarily? I don't think they end up fusing back no. again at any no, point. But, this is it. Um, 
while while this is going on, they thank Stephen, like, hooray, thank you, ah, you did the... Like, they don't chastise him for having come. It's like, we couldn't have done this without you. Thank you, we appreciate this. Yeah. I think it's because they know that he didn't put himself in danger to do that. Yeah. And all of a sudden... The cluster emerges, the warp is destroyed, Jasper is lost down a hole, and Stephen is trusted to save the world. Mm-hmm. That's the bit that kind of amuses me, and it's also kind of sad. Like, Jasper just slides down a crack and just disappears. Like, no one tries to help or anything. Well, she goes. Jasper kind of disappears through the cracks. <laughs> In the plot. <laughs> exactly. I, I think, like, it, it's going to tie in, and kind of has tied in, with what Jasper's future arc is, and is that, like, no one really cares about her. She's yeah. always kind of discarded or forgotten That's because she's a bitch face. It's like, oh, we, we took on uh, Malachite. We could handle Jasper easy. It's fine. You know, <laughs> th- let Jasper do her thing. We'll deal with her when she shows up. See, either that or they assume she was just incinerated in lava and she's dead now. Quite possibly. <laughs> um, so they very much trust Stephen to go save the world. They're like, look, <clears throat> we are going to take a while getting back. The warp's destroyed. We're going to have to walk. This is going to be a bit of a journey. You can just stop being this watermelon, Stephen, and you'll be there. You know the drill. (laughs) I love that line. It's so beautiful. You know the drill. Um, And I just love love where this episode ends. It's just, uh, Stephen, we love you. As he's like going back to his body, I'm and like, he gets all water eyed. His watermelon eyes go all wibbly wobbly, and it's adorable. I, I love that wibbly wobbly eye effect. It's one mm-hmm. of my favorite things in this darn show. Um, it's a cool moment. I really like how much trust they put in him. Yeah. It's not like stay there, we're coming. Or, it's like, well, like you look, can do this. Yeah, you can do, do this. Go. We trust you. Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't have done this without you. You led us here. You helped us win this fight. We trust you. Go stop the cluster. Mm, we yeah, never... Also, sorry, Mia. It makes me really emotional as well, the way that it ends with, and Stephen, we love you. Because it's, it's kind of, it's almost kind of like a final goodbye, like just in case it does feel we like don't a, make it through. If we don't make it or if you don't make it, just know that we love you. It yeah. does feel like really, <clears throat> this is very high stakes. We're just yeah. making sure you know that we love you before like, you do this. I... I think because i remember the i love you because it starts at the beginning of the next episode and that's like i remembered the line from that and that was the only bit of recollection recollection that i got like in the entire episode Mm. and i think i just recognized it from the next episode (laughs) yeah so so for you this storyline is just Stephen wakes up after a nap and decides to go through the cluster and who knows where the gems are i had no idea how (laughs) malachi Stops being Malachi. Lapis just appeared in my mind. I don't know. <laughs> that seems like a thing you probably should have asked me. Like, yeah. What happened here? Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, as Zaretta mentioned, we move on to the next episode, episode 80, Gem Drill, and it opens with that same line, but with, from Stephen's body's perspective, we love you is repeated. Um, Stephen ma- makes, makes Peridot aware, like... The cluster's emerging. We, we have to go deal with this. The gems aren't going to help us. And Peridot, who for the last little while has been very sort of follow the leader, very much takes charge here. I think she recognises, like, Stephen, you know what you're doing, but you are a child. I am an adult. I'm going to 
get myself a bit serious and we're going to deal with this. And she does somewhat take the lead. Yeah, we've seen her in, like we've mentioned, like the little sister kind of role in mm-hmm. so many yeah. episodes recently. She does not have that at all here. Yeah, she she's very able to make herself take charge and be an adult when required. Um, she she takes the role of like Stephen, you can do this, believe it, we can we're gonna we're gonna make this work. Yeah. Although uh, she does then call him out for being a liar. <laughs> she yeah. does. We're gonna do it together and it's gonna be great. Liar <laughs> um, So they get into the drill and we find out it's gonna be a two hour drive down to the centre of the earth, uh, with elevator music playing in the background. And it's tiny. Peridot didn't plan for fitting all the gems in. No. <laughs> Maybe they would shrink or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's funny because you can tell like she really didn't think of it at she just all. She did not think. Um, but why did no one else point that out? Why didn't Pearl look and go, there's no way that all five of us are going to fit I, in I this. don't think the intention was ever for them to all go down. I think in Pearl's head it was probably, I'll go down with Garnet or something. Yeah. Um... So they go through a layer of molten peridotite, uh, peridotite, uh, peridotite. I'm not going to contest how it's pronounced because I can't. Uh, yeah, I think it's peridotite, um, but basically it's peridotite uh, molten yeah. stuff. That's going to be really weird for peridot. <laughs> like, oh, this is the layer of the earth that's made up of basically you, mm-hmm. but melted. Yep, that's your body. She seems completely unfazed by that. <laughs> We she finds some... it, like, beautiful to look yeah. at. Well, I, I actually like this scene, because we get some interesting information on how she sees Homeworld, mm. because she doesn't remember Homeworld, which I found surprising. Well, she remembers Homeworld, but she doesn't remember how she came to be in Homeworld. No memories, just feelings yeah, about it's... Homeworld. Well, yeah, I, I didn't think that was about Homeworld. I thought it was about the time before she existed. I, it's... I took it to be Homeworld. She has I took no it as Homeworld as well. Oh, that's, says, that's really interesting. She says it's hard not to have feelings from where you came from. Yeah, I, I took, took that to be that she doesn't remember it, but she has a feeling I, I, I took it. it as two separate conversations. I took okay. it as... Um, there was the conversation that happened about, like, you know how were gems made and she's mm. like one minute I didn't exist and then I did and I don't have any feelings before that it's no memories of what happened before I existed just feelings okay. Um, and then separately I took it as a separate conversation about her feelings on Homeworld which are very mixed because um, the thing she says about Homeworld is I know I can never go back, but it's hard not to have feelings for where you, where you come from. Which, in my head, sounds like leaving an abusive home, a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, like, honestly, when I heard that line, I was just like, yeah, I, I know how you feel. And me. Yeah, like, obviously, I li- um, now live 250 miles away from my hometown. Which Ditto for me. Yeah, like, <laughs> we deliberately left it because yeah. of our bad memories. And, and it's like, yeah, we'll always have feelings towards that place where we grew up and we'll remember. It is complicated. Yeah. It is strange revisiting it's, it. It's a nice thing to see a kid's show address, which mm. is that even if you have to leave somewhere and can't go back for your own safety, like, the it's not an option to go back, that doesn't mean that you don't kind of, on some degree, want to go back and miss things about... Even if it's a place you had to get away from, 
you might still miss things about it and that's okay. Yeah, because, I mean, so often in cartoons we see the kind of mindset of, oh, home is safe, home is where you should be. Or home is bad, you know, we got away from home because it was bad and it's entirely bad because it was bad. Yeah. It's it's nice to see such a nuanced... Because we see this again with the Lapis not wanting to fuse with Jasper episode that comes up in a while. Mm. It's, It's okay to have complicated, messy feelings about bad situations that on some degree you can't help but have a desire to return to. Yeah. Exactly. And that's really complicated things for a kid's show to address, but I think they, they handle it really well with very simple sentences that explain a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, See, I'm doubting myself now. I'm like, what does this conversation really mean? <laughs> I want to go back and rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on a little bit from there... Um, it's okay that you can't go home because you've got friends now. Uh, yeah, Perry. She Perry not doesn't refer to them as friends, but it's like it's okay because I've got all of all yeah, of you. It's a surprisingly nice moment from her saying that she just feel like companionship with everyone. Yeah, she feels like she's she's okay staying here. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay. Um, we get a bunch of gem shard mutants attacking the ship, and. An N64 controller that was just lying around, presumably, is used to control the cannons to shoot them off. Yeah, I took this to be, like, they made the drill from bits that were lying around the van, and an N64 was lying around mm-hmm. the van, so that just got <clears throat> used. Uh, Steven doesn't feel right shooting them. Uh, something doesn't feel right, then use the D-pad. <laughs> Such a great line. It's uh, true, though, like, when you're playing a game and it doesn't feel quite right, Try try the D-pad, that's yeah. generally what you do. Um, so I wanted to pull up a transcript for something here, which is a conversation Peridot has that basically boils down to there's no way to save the forced fusions. Um, yeah, she. It's you see the conflict between Stephen kind of seeing them as people and wanting to help them, yeah. and Peridot seeing them... Just, as an experiment. Yeah, just yeah. like mindless <clears throat> experiments. Because that's what she always says, she's like, oh, these were the uh, prototypes... When she's on about the forced fusions of the little ones that yeah. they encounter. I mean, they're obviously foreshadowing what we're going to yeah. see in the cluster. Well, but it's, it's just, they're not, well, not people, but they're not even gems, they're just she, things. Well, she kind of gets some of her speech right and some of it wrong in that, I'll, I'll read the transcript in a second, she... She does get it correct that they're just looking for the missing pieces pieces themselves. They're just trying to feel whole. They just want to feel connection and to not feel alone. She's right about that. It makes me sad. She also talks about them not knowing who they are or what's happening around them. And that's clearly not right. Because Stephen's able to communicate with them and reason with them. And they are able to act to stop themselves eventually emerging. So Mm. they do have an awareness still as shards it might be a small simplified conflicting because there's multiple of them shoved together understanding but they do still have some consciousness there's some level of self-awareness i think it's because other people like i don't know if it's just a steven thing or if it's a rose thing but either way the home world doesn't have them they've bubbled all the roses so i don't think that anyone has been communicating with them to see yeah. If they can feel. And I was thinking, is is the reason that Stephen can communicate with it because they're, within these millions of things, there are blue shards jammed I, in there too? I don't know. I I think it was just the, the massive gems needing help that, like, they're all calling out for help. I can help. 
Um, I'm trying to think what colour the gems were so, that bubbled up. Well, he, he clearly has some sort of connection that Peridot lacks. Peridot, yeah. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but like Peridot clearly cannot feel with them um, and can yeah. tell what's happening as well, much as Stephen can. Stephen feels really wrong, doesn't he? He gets like that weird blush on his face and then he, as Peridot says it, he yeah. passes out because mm. he's then going in, in his consciousness, he's going and talking to the... Mm. Cluster. So, we are jumping ahead a little bit. I'll pull us slightly back to where we were. I did have something I wanted to say about the, the gem mutant shards that I don't know I've talked about yet, that okay. I think is really... It's a, it's, it's a view of them that I've had over time, and this rewatching this episode really sort of solidified it for me, is the idea of the, the, gem, the gem shards as allegory for people with... Um, learning, disabil- learning difficulties or, learn- or disabilities that prevent verbal communication um people with conditions like autism for example um again i know i go to that well a lot but like talking talking more in the realm of say like non-verbal uh autistic spectrum conditions uh in that it's this idea of dismissing them as having worth or understanding of what's going on around them because of the fact they're non-verbal and that there's this view that Peridot definitely seems to have, and many of the gems share, that because these gem shard fusions cannot communicate verbally, they clearly do not have an understanding of what's going on around them, they clearly cannot be reasoned with, they don't know who they are or what they are. It's like, no, that's kind of dismissing dismissing them because as we learn like look if you get someone like steven that can that can understand what it is they want and what they need and what they're trying to communicate they definitely it is clear that they do have an understanding of what's going on around them desires personhood and like sentience yeah yeah i have a question you remember um the frybo episode Mm. Mm. She calls them shards. Yep. So, are they shards of a gem that just aren't together? That was my assumption, is that they are parts of a shattered gem that weren't fused to each other, but they might be like this. Okay. And, yeah, that they have limited ability to decide what they do for themselves, but they can understand things said to them and carry those things out. Yeah, because they say it's a... Pearl says it's a form of semi-consciousness. Which, again, I think is the gem somewhat looking down on a different type of consciousness where they can understand and they can process and they can make decisions and act on things, but this sort of view that like that makes them less, less valid of a mm. consciousness. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's, it's like, I like that reading, that... They are just as valid and they are communicating just as much. It's just they're communicating in their own way that's just not the same way that everyone else is communicating. So they're looking down on them Mm. because they don't understand them. Because I think this episode, this conversation between Peridot and Steven pairs really nicely if we skip ahead to the basically Roadrunner episode between Steven and Peridot. Like, it's another episode where it's Steven and Peridot having a conversation about just because you don't understand how this being is trying to communicate doesn't mean that it can't communicate and that it's, like, Peridot uses a lot of, like, 
ableist language to talk down to the the, mm. the tentacled thing and basically be like, no, it's it, it it doesn't know what's going on. It's like, well, it's outsmarted you at every turn. <laughs> Maybe stop and think. Just because something's not verbal doesn't mean that it doesn't have thoughts and desires and ways of communicating that you could maybe better empathise with. Mm-hmm. I like that. Another question about the uh, chart from Freiburg. <laughs> yeah. Still on that uh, track. Yeah, I, it's because my brain's just working all the time today. Um, I was thinking, if they have those shards, is that because Bismuth shattered a gem? Oh, possibly. Quite possibly. Yeah. Um, so, looking at the transcript quickly for that bit, um, there's no helping them. They're too broken. The beings who used to be in those shards are shattered. They don't know who they are or what's happening around them, which we know to be wrong. Uh, they just seek out other gems, looking for the missing pieces of themselves, trying to make themselves whole. These early experiments only combine two or three shards. The cluster will be a billion times larger. An inseparable fusion, capable of destroying worlds, starting with this one. Was this cluster intended to not only destroy Earth, but then to carry on through space destroying yeah, more worlds it's meant to be a giant weapon so it can they can use it to control other worlds yeah because they talk about it as taking its form so yeah. i do see it as mm. it would just it's, become this it's, it's interesting because that suggests that they believe they would have any control over it once it formed yeah because because everything... like can they target it at worlds or would this just start rampaging because that seems like a big thing for them to try and destroy after they've created it yeah this if is... it goes for home world or something <laughs> you maybe not thought this through <laughs> yeah this this they simultaneously think oh the the shards have no consciousness they don't know what they're doing but also yeah we can totally control them when they emer- a billion of them emerge mm. so you're just gonna unleash this like planet eater it's basically like galactus it's just gonna yeah. roam the galaxy eating planets and it's like yeah it's just what it'll never go for home world what are you on about um so the the, the cluster starts to try to form. White matter rises from the cluster towards the drill. Peridot says it's too late, it's taking form. I'm so sorry I couldn't save you or the billions of other life forms who matter far, far less to me. Uh, it's an amusing like, backhanded way of saying like you matter to me. Like, you I matter to me you. more than anyone, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any last words? And Stephen's last words are, I love you, Peridot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it breaks my heart that Stephen's potential last words are, I love you, Peridot. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh. It's, it's, it's awesome, because it just says, like, he forgives her and he appreciates her. And... Yeah, and he just, he just hugs her and mm-hmm. just lets her be for a second. Um, and everyone dies. Yay! <laughs> uh, At the end. So Stephen doesn't want to harm the cluster. Uh, Stephen says it... It doesn't know what it's doing. And Peridot's response is really interesting. It doesn't matter. It's still going to do it. And while a very pragmatic response that ultimately turns out to be wrong, it's a very understandable response that Peridot has. This idea of, it doesn't matter that it's harming people without knowing it's harming people. It's still harming people and that's still a problem. Yeah, like we're all going to die whether it's intentional or not. Yes, and again, you can pull that back to non-verbal learning disability stuff and conversations around just, like, you know, don't punish this child because they did this thing. They didn't know that that, that they yeah. were hurting you. doesn't matter. They still hurt someone and getting into the complex conversations around 
punishment for disabled people who sort of unaware cause harm to others and how you deal with that. Yeah. It's a complex conversation that we cannot summarise here. Yes, I'm not going to weigh in on that. (laughs) No, but it's interesting to see the topic broached here because I feel like that's what this comment is about. It doesn't matter that the cluster doesn't know it's going to harm us it's still going to harm us and we have to like weigh those yeah. two things up. Like we can't let it do this just because it's innocently doing this. Yeah. And it's it's a complicated question that you know, is not not for us to have, I suspect. There are probably people with doctorates that uh, could have a better input on this yes, particular I, conversation. I don't think I'm quite qualified for this. Not, not at this time in the morning anyway. <laughs> um So, as Peridot attempts to drill into the cluster, Stephen is in incredible pain. He sees the souls of Jem in pain, screaming, floating past him. A pink glow emanates from his his centre, and he enters the cluster's consciousness. So this is kind of interesting and dark. dark. So, like we were alluding to before, he has some sort of connection with the gem shards and clearly Peridot has no connection to them whatsoever so again this is an instance of Stephen's empathy and his his ability to connect but here it's it's very like literal it's not oh I'm trying to see things from your point of view it's like I'm literally in pain because you're in pain I am inside your brain slash brains yeah um well, when they're all trying to talk to him there's so many talking at once that he's finding it painful to try Mm. and Empathise with all of them because there's too many perspectives. Yeah, like, the way that I've written it is that he's feeling their pain, confusion and loss. Yeah. Good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Um, The cluster is desperate to form because it needs to be whole. Whole Mm. is the word it uses. And it's not that it wants to form, it's that it wants to be in some way connected to the other parts of itself, which it assumes are somewhere in the cluster. And as such, if we form then we'll be, we won't be incomplete again. And it's like a desperate need, almost. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting motivation for this weapon that threatens to destroy Earth, that it's not malicious at all. It just is desperately lonely and wants to be whole again, yeah. and it feels torn apart, and that's a really horrible thing. It is, because the destruction is a side effect. Like... Yeah, like, it doesn't want to hurt the Earth, it just wants to not be alone. I think yeah. that's a very relatable and empathetic motivation. Definitely. Um, so I have some bits of Stephen's transcript of him talking to the shards. Mm-hmm. Uh, your shards, you just want to find the rest of your gems, but forming won't help you find the rest of yourselves. You'll just destroy the earth. To which the cluster responds, no, 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 no. It clearly doesn't want to do it. If you want to find other gems, there's so many of you right here. Look. Puts the two of them together. Shard. Meet Shard. Uh, Have to... One of the shards says have to, and one says want to. See? You already have so much to talk about. (laughs) You know, your desire to to Mm -hmm. form. That's a conversation starter. There you go. Got something in Um, common. And they start to have conversations, and apparently, according to the transcript, a lot of the words said are things like, Hi! Oh, hi! <laughs> like, just sort of shocked realisation yeah. they can communicate. Um, I heard a hi when I was watching it. It's like, hi! The cluster as a whole says, want to stay. And mm. it's this, like, it 
Stephen has changed the minds of like a hive mind of billions of fragmented people mm-hmm. by just stopping and having a conversation and empathizing. Yeah. yeah, it's you may you might feel like you are alone, but look around you, yeah. you are surrounded by people just like you. This is great, you don't even need to form, you can just stay here. And the cluster's response can't stop going to form. Can't stop going to form. Help, help help. It's really distressed by the knowledge it's going to cause harm. Mm-hmm. It, it it, can't control this, but it desperately doesn't want to hurt anyone. Yeah. Like, it's it's really heartbreaking, the cluster. It is, it's very dark, and I think it's a really clever turn. Because yeah. through all these episodes, we've seen the cluster presented as something evil and destructive it's, it's and horrible. It's evil, monstrous, um, a weapon, and it's like, no, it's just a bunch of Scared people. Are scared people that just want to not be alone and don't mm. want to hurt anyone. Yeah. Um, and if, Steve... Sorry. Yeah. No, if they ahead. don't want to hurt Earth, that could suggest that a, a lot of them are like Rose's army who were fighting for Earth. It wouldn't surprise me. My interpretation, and it's just a guess, I'm basing this on virtually nothing, is that the cluster is the destroyed crystal gems and the destroyed homeworld gems that were left on Earth when the um, weapon fired. Mm. They're basically just all gathered up and all just smashed together. That sounds about right. And Mm -hmm. at the very least, all of them have probably spent some time on Earth and have some awareness of this is a planet with life on it and Mm -hmm. had a long time to think about that. Um, So Stephen's response is to try and bubble them so that to, to keep them from forming. It's okay. If I just bubble you, you won't have to come out. It'll keep you safe. Here, look, like this. And he's bubbling one gem at a time of billions. I can bubble you. I can bubble you. That's, well, that's five out of, oh, jeez, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't do this. I love the way it says, oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. I can't do this alone. I cannot individually bubble billions of gem shards. I like it because he clearly wants to try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very Stephen in the, like... I know that I can't do it, but I want to try anyway. Yeah. Like, this situation is hopeless, but I'm going to continue and hope that I can solve it by being very empathetic. Mm. Which is Stephen's kind of answer to everything. You could argue it's the theme of the entire show. Yeah. It's basically talk to other people, understand where they're coming from, make friends. Yeah, so Stephen has tried to bubble some of them and he wakes back up with Peridot in the drill and he's like, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I tried, I just can't do this. And the cluster starts to bubble itself, one gem at a time. They start to bubble themselves. They're and bubbling each other. They're bubbling each other. And it's this realisation that they have the power to to stop this themselves and... It's a real, it's a really good demonstration of like how wrong Peridot was about them being unaware of who they were, what was going on around them. Because not only are they aware of what's going on around them, they're able to, of their own volition, work out we can bubble each other. This will lead to a positive outcome by preventing the destruction of Earth and will prevent people from being hurt. We can still take. Uh, like act out this action even while shards and Stephen then you know puts it together and makes the big bubble out of all their bubbles but it's a really sweet just they're all calm and okay and they'll they can talk to each other now 
And they're just calm and safe. Yeah. In the end, the cluster is what stops the cluster. Yeah, yeah the cluster stops the cluster. But it's Stephen that shows them what's what's what to do. Yeah, he helped yeah. them like, guide them. <clears throat> when he does it, he says, here, like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he shows them that while all the other gems have sort of forsaken them, that he still knows, like, you can be helped, you can help each other, here's how you can do it. Yeah. Like, I'm giving you the time and attention and instructions you need to be able to save yourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's really sweet. It's such it's such an unexpectedly sweet arc to, like, a world-destroying villain story. It's, it's a perfect ending. It's, it's, it's a perfectly Steven Universe ending, yeah. in that it is a completely non-combat solution to a what seemed like a combat problem. Mm-hmm. And they go back up to the Earth... Pearl asks, you know, you solved the cluster, did you destroy it? Nah, I bubbled it. And Pearl is genuinely impressed and shocked. Yeah, like she doesn't question him. It's more like, how did you do that? Yeah, it's not, there's no way you could have done that. It's just, Mm. how? How did you manage to do that? I had a little help. And it's just, Mm. it's so sweet. But I, I think this is a really big turning point for the gem's respect for Steven's abilities in that he bubbled a billion plus gem shards at once by himself mm-hmm. that's like okay maybe we trust Stephen yeah. Stephen Stephen dealt with the cluster by himself pretty much mm-hmm. so yeah that's a nice big thing I do um, like that the last shot is the cluster as well it goes yeah. back down and we just see it and we just bubble. see this, this mm-hmm. nice calm pink bubble yeah. um, I did laugh I momentarily had the thought of trying to send the bubble back to the temple yeah. <laughs> I did think that. And, like, the whole temple's gone, which is... <laughs> six bloods. <laughs> like, Beach um, City is just I, the cluster. Well, I did have that thought for a moment and was like, let's, let's not tap the bubble. <laughs> let's leave this one yeah, here. Yeah, probably It's should. okay, they can send it to the city that's no longer on fire. Oh, um, yeah. Ocean Town. Yeah. Ocean Town, that's it. <laughs> Considering it was billions of shards, um, sending it to Ocean Town would probably still do some damage to Beach City. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Um, so yeah, next episode up on the list is episode eighty-one, same old world. So this episode starts off with Peridot uh, summarizing the last episode with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek attitude to how she summarizes it. Um, Stephen was all my feelings. <laughs> I love the whiny voice she puts on. Yeah, she she's very exaggerated in the way that she tells the story, but she does. When it comes to the finale where it's talking about, like, fix- uh, saving the cluster, she does hand the story over to Stephen because she's like, eh, I should probably give him this victory. Mm. This was this was his doing. As much as she wants to impress the gems, she doesn't claim credit for what was Stephen's work. Yeah. Like, she'll embellish the story when it's like, both of us on our silly adventure. Stephen was a doofus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then he saved the world. But let's focus on, <laughs> yeah, my feelings, Stephen. Mm-hmm. It is a kind of accurate retelling I guess <laughs> what, I, what I think is interesting is the it's the only time I'm aware of in the show where Stephen a male character gets the fact that he, he is open about his feelings mocked mm-hmm. yeah I think it's important with the scene though that no one's tying into him being a boy for that reason it's it's more just like that's what Stephen does because indeed that's who but Stephen it's is. it's the only it's the only time I'm aware of and I don't know if there's anything symbolic about it, that it's the only time that anyone 
mocks him for having feelings. Yeah, I think it's fitting that it's Peridot, like Peridot who is the engineer, who's all about efficiency. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's not a feelingsy person. No. Um, so Stephen is worried about Lapis. Uh, last we saw Lapis, she was, you know, falling to the earth after <clears throat> being fused for a very long time as Malachite. I figured the reason that Stephen was kind of like, I'm going to go check on Lapis, is because Lapis is a blue gem and he could probably feel that she was struggling and not sleeping peacefully. Blue gem empathy. <laughs> I did get the feeling in that scene, the way that he kind of suddenly goes to check on her. I did feel like, has he just felt something? Yeah, because mm. he seems distracted the entire time Peridot's telling the story. Mm. Yeah. And then he just kind of goes, I'm going to go check on Lapis. So, uh, Garnet says some things about how Lapis is doing that I think are very telling, particularly when we look at Lapis and uh, Jasper as the unhealthy, abusive relationship mm-hmm. uh, relationship metaphor. The emotional and physical strain of that type of fusion, it's impossible to imagine. She's going to need a lot of time to recover. It's like when someone gets out of an abusive relationship. Yeah. Just and... because they're away from it doesn't mean that they're, they've healed from yeah, the damage done. Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, again, big themes for a kid's show. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen is, sleeps outside the barn waiting for Lapis to be okay in a caterpillar sleeping bug, yeah. snug as a bug in a rug. <laughs> we have seen this before, haven't we? Yeah. Like, can't picture where. I can't picture where either, but I do love his his caterpillar. Every time I see it, his caterpillar sleeping yeah. bug makes a uh, sleeping bag. Sleeping bug <laughs> makes me smile. <laughs> They're a sleeping bug. Like, it was a real bug that he killed and hollowed if, out and he climbs inside it. I'm, I'm now realising, like, sleeping bags themed around, in, uh, sleepy, uh, themed around insects that you could brand as sleeping bugs. Is that's, a really strong branding. That's a good idea. Has that never been used? You've got to edit this out. Pin <laughs> yeah, that idea. No, yeah, kids, kids sleeping bags like insect sleeping bugs. Done. That's that's mm, a pitch. Yeah, right I, there. I could see that in an Argos catalog. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Lapis tries to leave the barn, and I think it's really important that Stephen doesn't force her to stay. Mm-hmm. It's just he's sad about it, but he doesn't try and convince her. Otherwise. Yeah, he doesn't try and guilt her about it. It's like. Look, I would like you to stay, but you do what you gotta do. Please be okay. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nice that he doesn't try and guilt her into yeah, staying. Yeah, because I was. We know that he obviously wants her to stay, so I was kind of expecting him to make a case for it. Mm-hmm. So I like that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. I do like the um, <clears throat> line that Stephen says. I feel like I only get to see you when something horrible is going on. Yeah. And Lapis says, "That's just how it is with me," and it, it's. More um, lapis and depression, I feel. Yeah, she has such low self-esteem. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, things are always horrible around me. That's just something. That's why I want to go away and you can be safe. It's very, like, um, guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Peridot wants to live in and fix up the barn rather than go to live with the gems in the house, which (coughs) uh, makes some degree of sense because otherwise that house setting would get very cluttered the more people you put in it and I think that's a storytelling device to try and keep like the Peridot and Lapis stories separate until it's time to go back to them rather than having to involve them in every story. I agree. That's how I saw this. And keeping the core mechanic of 
these three and Steven are most episodes. Yeah, I, I agree. I saw this as being like, if we put her out of the way, then we don't have to involve her in kind of... In every story, yeah. but she's there when we need her. <clears throat> yeah. I still want to see what Peridot's room would look like, though. Oh, in the temple. I'm sure yeah. we'll see at some point. That would be interesting. And could, lapis. Could it, though? Because there's uh, no Peridot gem on the door. Like, yeah, I just realised that. It's only specific gems on the door, which presumably means she doesn't have a room there. Or the smoky claw. Well, yeah. Like, I'm thinking, like, fusions. If if Steven and Peridot fused, would their fusion maybe have a door? Because Possibly. Because, obviously, the rose gem is there, but the... Paradox gems not. It's, so. I, I'm curious if they'll ever address that yeah. or if they'll ever add additional things to the door or something. I would like to know more about the temple. Like, yeah. how long has it been there? I'm telling you, it's a body. I think it it's might well be. Um, Lapis is sat atop a grain. Uh, I assume it's a grain silo? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. My first instinct was to say a water tower, <laughs> which is would have been thematically appropriate, but I don't think that's what no. it was. Um, because she can't go, she feels she can't go home. She has disobeyed homeworld and kept Jasper held down. She doesn't feel like she's at home on Earth. She doesn't feel like she can go back to homeworld. Yeah, well, we saw her message, didn't we, from homeworld, and she said everything's changed. Yeah, she has nowhere left that she feels home. Yeah. Um, so Stephen and Lapis go on an adventure to see. The world's pretty big. Maybe we'll find somewhere appropriate for you. And the note I've written in my notebook is. Oh, new world. <laughs> I did also write, like, Aladdin reference, question mark. Um, are you ready, Freddy? No, my name's not Freddy, which I like that because it ties into... The Bob. No prob Bob. I'm yeah. not Bob, which is really relevant at the end of this batch of episodes. Mm-hmm. It's her... St- it's her still taking things very literally when idioms are used that involve names. <clears throat> yeah. I want to point out... Um, Sorry, my voice is going. <coughs> Pollen is high today. Yeah, we all have allergies. We're all a bit yeah. Um The different cities that um, Stephen mentions when he's saying we'll find somewhere for you, they're all like water related. It's Surf City, Sea City, Aquatown, and Bayburg. It's clearly the neighbouring coastal towns, and that's yeah. the only area he knows. But I also like that all of these actually, it's um, to do actually with water like beach city it's the beach but it's not necessarily a water title whereas the ones that Stephen mentions all are to do with water and lapis is someone who loves water oh that's like she's a water gem also doesn't mention ocean town because presumably it's not a place you want to live it's not on fire anymore though (laughs) it's true Um, maybe lapis did that yeah i i I don't think i ever said it when we talked about the no prob bob earlier Mm. I have some empathy for Lapis there. As a child, I used to get really distraught when my parents used, like, oh, terms okay. of phrase that involved names that weren't my name. I got really upset by that, because okay. taking things literally, woo, Asperger's. Um, Stephen explains how the seasons work. Um, he somewhat simplifies it by saying that all of the leaves will change colour. What about evergreen, Stephen? What about evergreens? <laughs> I pointed that out when we were watching. I was like... Not evergreens, though. Yeah, Stephen, stop lying to Lapis. <laughs> what when some of the trees don't change colour? You're going to be a liar, Stephen. He's such a horrible person, Stephen, um, lying to Paul Lapis. <laughs> he tells some very interesting stories of how her life would be in the forest. Uh, you'll eat acorn pie every night. It's a kind of like childhood, kind of cartoon-esque idea of yeah. her living with the animals in peace in um, the forest. I, I like his mixed metaphors for Empire City. 
uh, which is clearly meant to be like Las Vegas or something. It's Las um, Vegas in New York. Yeah. Kind of uh, what what happens in Empire City never sleeps. <laughs> which is yeah, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And, uh, and the city that never sleeps. Yeah. yeah whatever. <laughs> what happens in Empire City never sleeps. It's, it does gel with when we see it with Greg's episode. It does seem to kind of come up with Empire City as. New York meets Las Vegas. New, there's New also Ve- an Eiffel it's Tower. New Vegas. <laughs> it's a Fallout reference. Yeah. Uh, there's also an Eiffel Tower. Indeed, which is a very Vegasy thing. Um, Jer- Jersey. The people here seem to hate the Earth too. <laughs> Everyone craps on Jersey. Yeah. What is? Is that the first time they verbally acknowledge a real world place? I think, I think so. Um, quit flying in our sky, you mooks. <laughs> It's amusing. Like everything. Like obviously, I'm not American, but I have watched so much media that just craps on Jersey. Yeah, it's like what is wrong with Jersey? The <laughs> gas stations used to be pretty gross, but they sell sushi now. As I understand, Jersey used to be where all the cars were made. I think, I think it's very smoggy. Yeah, it's very smoggy, and like a lot of manufacturing jobs happened yeah. there. I'm not sure. Just something I want to mention that was um, earlier on. Greg is surprisingly okay with Stephen saying that he'll catch up on Lion. Yeah, I, I did kind of think about that as well. Because like, someone refers to Lion as Leon. It's just his him pronouncing Lion, I think. Yeah, I stumbled up on that, but I yeah, I, I assumed it was like... maybe just a pronunciation thing. Yeah, I think it's just you know it's like he's saying Lion in a funny way. Lion. Leon. I don't it's, think it's, it means. Yeah, I don't know because Leo, the symbol for Leo, is a lion. Maybe. Well, yeah. Um, I, I, I took him being okay with it is because he was around for the story about how Stephen just went to the center of the earth and calmed a billion fragments <laughs> of consciousness. He's, He's probably like, hey, you know what you're doing when it comes mm. to this stuff. I should probably trust you to ride your lion. That's true, I guess. Um, I'll give you some leeway. Uh, as they're flying over the ocean, Lapis sees the galaxy warp and freezes up, nearly dropping Stephen into the ocean. Um, she realises and apologises, and they land on the warp. This is where I was abandoned. Um, Everything gets kind of dark and interesting. And... Yeah. We, we get a lot of Lapis backstory here that I think we've tried to remember before, but we've muddled up little bits yes, of it here we and have. there. Like, listeners have gotten in touch to um, nudge us to ours, which I appreciate because I had forgotten yeah. a lot of this. Well, this is the thing. It's like, we're watching this show five episodes a week. There are things that we're going to come across and be like, oh, in previous episodes, we got this totally wrong <laughs> yeah. trying to jump well, ahead like to it. It's like a year since these episodes aired, isn't it? Yeah. So, so uh, Lapis was in the war and presumably she was there as part of the terraforming effort. Mm-hmm. Um, she was just meant to be there very briefly. Uh, there were a lot of Jaspers present in in the war. They were clearly front lines on the battlefield. Bismuth lands, punches Jasper, and pops her. I think we discussed this in past episodes, that her fear of the Crystal Gems presumably comes from being popped by Bismuth, not by any of the gems that we know today as the Mm -hmm. Crystal Gems. Um, Lapis was popped. You said Jasper, and oh, it confused class. me for a moment. Sorry. <laughs> Words. This is the thing when we talk for multiple hours. Occasionally I'll just say the wrong fucking word. Um, yeah, Lapis was popped by Bismuth. Um, it's interesting that we've seen Bismuth pop up so many t- times already, and we've still not been introduced to Bismuth no. at this point. Like, we've seen Bismuth be the gem that uh, that pops Lapis. We've seen her gem in the 
like the tree and lion, mm-hmm. and that they're just not addressing her. Yeah, I honestly completely like like when I watched this the first time, I didn't see the business silhouette and think, "Ooh, that's interesting. That must be an upcoming character." Yeah. I was just kind of like, mm, "Another silhouette." And mm. now realizing, it's like the clues that she was going to be introduced were everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, people knew that a bismuth was going to show up at some point because as soon as that gem inside Lion was like seen in the bubble, people were like, "That looks vaguely like a real world bismuth yeah, gem." Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very distinct, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so she was picked up by Homeworld. At this point, she's not cracked. Um, she, they, they thought, thought she, she was, was a crystal, crystal gem. gem. Yeah, they thought she was a crystal gem, and they used her as a tool. They put her in the mirror, and we kind of hypothesized about this when the Mirror Jam episode was happening, Mm -hmm. uh, the mirror was used as an interrogation tool. They wanted to find out where the crystal gems were, where their base was. She was unable to answer those questions because she did not know. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that breeds resentment for the crystal gems because she's being tortured and interrogated for information that she doesn't have because of them. Yes, it's directly because of them. Um, She couldn't, brackets, wasn't able to say that she wasn't one of them. Are we to say that she was physically incapable of saying, I'm not a crystal gem? I th- I saw this as tying back into when we see the mirror and she can only kind of answer orders. Mm. Answer yeah, direct she's, questions. She's not cracked at this point either. Yeah. So she will only be able to obey orders. That's what I saw. Right, I guess. Like, no one asked her, are you a crystal gem? So yes. therefore she wasn't able it, to answer exactly. the question. Much like she couldn't say, tell Stephen how to free her until Stephen asked, how can I help you? Yeah. Unless they asked directly, are you a crystal gem? Because that was their assumption. They didn't feel the need to ask it. Mm. She was physically unable to say, look, stop ter- interrogating me. I'm not a crystal gem. Yeah. Um, Homeworld then fled. Lapis was cracked at this point. They dropped the mirror. Someone steps on the crack. The crack was not a deliberate thing to try and get information out of her. It was an accident in a stampede. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like panic evacuation. They yes. clearly knew the weapon was going to go off. Yeah. Well, we, we've seen this come up a few times. Like, the warnings were given to the Homeworld troops to retreat because yeah. the weapon... the the I've put it in my notes as the corruption blast was going to go off. Mm. They knew it was coming and... You know, it it did. The thing I noticed this time that I didn't pick up on before is that it seems to come from the moon. Yeah, so I'm wondering is that orb we saw in the last batch of episodes related to the weapon? Possibly is that the control panel, it, the power source. I, I don't know if it's coincidental, but it did seem to be from the moon. I don't mm. know whether that's consistent with other times this blast shows up, but it's a thing to watch yeah. out for. One thing <clears throat> I forgot to mention: um, she's mirroring her past. She's showing it as like a mirror through a mirror. Oh, that's cool. And I was thinking, is things to do with mirrors? Is that a lapis thing? Yeah. I I took it less as a lapis wide thing for all lapises, and perhaps because she was trapped in a mirror for so long, that's how she thinks about regurgitating information. Now is that it's it's easiest to reflect and show what happened. Yeah. Because that's the only way she could communicate for a long time. Maybe that's a... something of environment rather than nature. Yeah, nurture rather than nature. Possibly. I mean, the way I'm just thinking about now is unless it's just to do with the reflection in water... Because everything yeah, she does with water... Can she manipulate a water reflection? I, I think both are totally reasonable yeah. readings. Um... So, Pearl was the one to find her mirror at the Galaxy Warp, and presumably assumed it was a Homeworld mirror. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because it was left in the fleeing of the corruption. Um, and she takes it and presumably uses it to try and get information about Homeworld that it presumably cannot give. Everyone traps her and uses her. Yep. Just just want to cut in and say, I noticed during the Homeworld silhouettes when they're running away that Dr. Mahesh one silhouette is there. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> so that that gem was on Earth. Seemingly. Hashtag Dr. Mahesh Warren is a mm-hmm. second generation gem child. I want to believe. I want to. I want to. I, I honestly do not want to believe, but. <laughs> I, I want to have Dr. Mahesh Warren believe. Yeah. There's, there's something going on there. Yeah. Um. Lapis barely <clears throat> saw the Earth at all, and she laughs at this, and Stephen says, that's not funny, that's super sad. <laughs> yeah, because she's like, oh, that's funny. It's, it's, like, it's the sort nah. of defensive, like, ha, 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 that was funny. I'm saying it's funny because I don't want to cry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Um, and Lapis makes the decision to stay on Earth by choice, not because she's forced to. She's not being made to stay there, she's choosing to. Mm-hmm. Oops, a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> and then paradox walks over. I just, I really like that Stephen is aware that Lapis needs this to be her choice. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, well, if you do stay on Earth, it's because you've chosen to do so. No one's forcing you to stay mm. here. Because mm. he knows that she always feels like she's trapped into any situation that she's been yeah, in. Yeah, she's never had a choice in anything so far. Yeah, so I, I just like that it's actually, he it goes out of his way to be like, it's your choice. Mm. Like, you can mm. choose to stay or you can go elsewhere, but it's yeah. your choice. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> so she's not happy about Peridot being there. Oops, straight into the next episode. Episode 82, Barnmates. Um, I love that this episode starts with Peridot rehearsing a conversation with Lapis in front of Lapis. <laughs> it's, again, similar to the um, Amethyst um, conversation where she finds it easier to talk to someone if she's talking into the recorder rather than talking I, to someone face I think to face. There's, there's a degree of abstraction of not feeling like you're talking directly to the person and being judged yeah. and you can always hand wave it away as, oh, that was just a practice. I was going to say it different when I got to you and mm. you can excuse away issues and stuff. Yeah. Um, Lapis wanted to live alone. Stephen is completely oblivious. <laughs> Lapis keeps being like, I, I thought I was going to be here alone. And Stephen's like, no, it's even better because you've got a friend. Yeah. Like, he doesn't realise he should apologise for not making it clear she would have a roommate. Yeah, Stephen never seems to kind of see anything from Lapis's point of view in this episode. It's all about, no, you should be friends, so I'm going to try and make you yeah. friends. I'm going to draw a line down the centre of this barn and divide it into two halves. I saw it in a sitcom once. I never saw how it ended, but I imagine it ended well for everyone. <laughs> Very optimistic. A uh, very knowing nod to sitcom tropes. Yeah. Um, Peridot insists she has changed, but it's important for us as an audience to remember that she did still hurt Lapis. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what this episode boils down to, and it's a really important lesson for kids to get, is this, just because someone apologises for hurting you doesn't mean that that hurt automatically goes away, and that you have to forgive them for what they did. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to act the way Lapis does here, and she perhaps goes slightly overboard when Peridot is clearly trying to make amends and trying to do very sweet gestures and, you know, ignoring those. But there is some kernel of truth to this idea of you can't force someone to be okay with you after you hurt them. Mm-hmm. Well, also, if she's depressed, she won't want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Peridot is a pragmatist. Frustrated that she has changed, 
and wants automatic forgiveness. She sees it in a very logical way. Like, I, I'm not that person that I used to be, and I apologise ther- Therefore, I deserve forgiveness. Where is my forgiveness <laughs> that I deserve? Mm-hmm. Which is not the right attitude to have if you want to be forgiven. I, I am owed this forgiveness. Forgive me now. Yeah, definitely. Well, like, the whole thing with Peridot, she's keeping way too much pride. Because, like, in the practice conversation, she says that she's... A big deal, a big anti-homeworld deal. Yeah, it, well, we see that they are. Like, Peridot is trying to connect on kind of even ground. She's saying we're both refugees. We're both kind mm. of hated by homeworld. Like we should be friends. And I saw that to be Peridot wanting that companionship, like almost like she's a little bit lonely. Yeah. Amongst the crystal gems and even Steven, like she's the odd one out, more so mm. than even Steven. <laughs> and I think seeing Lapis, she's seeing someone who's like, oh, you're like me. I'm no yeah. longer she's, completely alone. She's doing a really bad job of it, but she is trying to connect on on positive, like positivity and compliments and neutral shared ground. Because mm. um, we have the card at first, which Steven draws the front where the, uh, Lapis and Peridot are holding hands and it's adorable and I want them to fuse already. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peridot does the inside. Um, Sorry I interrogated you. You were full, just full of so much useful information. That's a sincere compliment, Peridot. <laughs> which, it's blunt and it's not a good way of being taken seriously but you can't deny that like you knew a lot of very useful information is an attempt at a sincere compliment that Peridot does believe Yeah, she went completely the wrong way around it but it was I'm sorry well because the problem is is I'm sorry however I did it for a reason like you don't justify why you did something in an apology it reminds me of Pearl with Garnet yeah I, but I, I had to do it so that I yeah. could... I'm sorry I didn't tell you, but I needed to feel that thing again. It's yeah. don't apologise and then instantly say why it was okay you did the thing. Yeah. But again, I feel like Peridot was trying to include that to be a compliment. I do believe that. Mm. I think she was sincere in what she was saying, but she just... She wasn't going about apologising the right way like yeah, yeah. she's misunderstanding what Lapis's problem is yeah it's she's not got any malicious intent yeah. behind that comment or we might all entirely be wrong and maybe the problem with the apology is just that the, the art on Stephen's card didn't have any noses yeah no noses yeah. He's, he's couldn't possibly good. be the inside of the card it was really sincere the <laughs> lack of noses the <laughs> only possible plausible explanation exactly um, Stephen and Peridot attempt to make a swimming pool this, I think, is a really genuine sweet gesture that, like, this is the first one where I'm kind of... I get why Lapis has an issue, but this is the first response she has that I think is a bit of a jerkish response. Mm. In that, clearly, it was an attempt from Stephen and Peridot working together to be like, what is something we know about you that we can put time and effort into a gesture that we think would be sweet? I think the issue with this is that Peridot is being far too generalised because she says, well, lapises like this. So that's saying this entire group of people generally like this thing. It's not this individual likes this thing. And she's just thinking of it as... She's thinking of it as 
but a number instead of yeah. as a but here's being... here's the thing though like Stephen Stephen sees it as a sweet gesture as well and so did I it does on the surface seem like a really sweet gesture that you know many a, pe- a person could like I feel like this is a very relatable mistake to make it's a mistake I could have made in that situation of yeah water that's your thing right oh shit I fucked up yeah it does have some thought behind it like, yeah personalized um I do have the transcript of what Peridot uh, of what Lapis says about the water here and I think it's uh beautifully mm. dark water seriously you do realize that I spent the last few months trapped under the ocean right it was an endless crushing darkness wet and bleak and suffocating. Water was the tomb I lived in for those months. I'm trying, kind of taking a break from water right now. <laughs> I saw this as enlightening, perhaps, as to how Malachite was able to keep together, and that Jasper probably felt exactly the same way, and that Jasper felt trapped under the water and unable to get free. Trapped and betrayed. Yeah, so they mm. both felt kind of trapped and angry and miserable, and that's the kind of um, connecting emotion mm-hmm. they had, maybe? Yeah. So the mo- possibly the most telling thing that happens about that water pool is when Lapis is aggressive against, like, this was a stupid thing, why did you do this for me? She says, don't worry, Stephen, it's not your fault. Yeah. I, it it no, was a joint thought of a gift from both Stephen and Peridot, who both agreed they thought it was a good idea. Lapis puts all of the blame for it being a bad gift on Peridot mm. and zero of it on Stephen because she already going into this wants to like Stephen, doesn't want to like Peridot. Yeah. And I think her response to the pool is understandable in and of itself in that after being trapped underwater for ages to have a problem with going back in water is understandable. But the fact that she then has zero issue with Stephen and all the issue with Peridot says like the pool itself wasn't inherently the problem. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, thinking of other gifts to give Lapis, Camp Pining Hearts uh, DVDs. Um, which season are you going to give her? Season five. That's trash. I do wonder. Does is that foreshadowing? Is Steven Universe season five gonna suck? Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> they're like, oh. oh, by this point we'll be going downhill. So yeah, is this where they think they're going to get cancelled or something? <laughs> um, Peridot gifts her the tape recorder. And I think it's a really, really, really sincere, sweet gift that has zero issue with it. Yeah, because this is the item that helped Peridot mm-hmm. kind of become more comfortable on Earth. Yeah. It's the one thing that she really consistently it's, uses. It's something that she values to this day and that she's making a real sacrifice by giving up, but she thinks it will help Lapis yeah. and it shows, I understand what you're going through. I know it seems stupid, but it helped me and hopefully it can help you. It is... A gift that you cannot object to on paper unless the issue is just a desire not to like Peridot. Yes, yeah, all about the person. Um, because um, um, it's Stephen who gives her the idea to give Lapis something that she likes, as in yeah. something that Peridot likes, because that's what Stephen has always done. Like, I like the arcade, so let's take the gems to the arcade so that I can gain mm. this bond with them and I think he's trying to kind of go well it works for me and the gems so you should try this with Lapis and hopefully that'll work so 
I have some of the, the transcript of the giving the tape recorder over because I think it's really sweet. Uh, see, the ribbon is blue. I got your number. Here, I'll unwrap it for you. When I was stuck here, Stephen gave me this tape recorder as a gift. And I didn't really get it at first. Um, you know, uh, where is it? But it made me feel better. I, just to talk about the weird stuff that was happening. It'll help you too. You um, press the red button and you talk into it. And Lapis's response is, I don't want your garbage. And she crushes and drops it. And that was heartbreaking to yeah, watch. Like, it's horrible, so huh? horrible. So, I'm just like, Lapis, you bitch. Um, I, I totally get her dislike for, for Peridot. She has real sincere reasons to have a problem with Peridot and she shouldn't be forced to forgive Peridot out of nowhere but this was a really sincere gesture of trying to help and I think Peridot's response to it is is perfect it's perfect what were you trapped in a tape recorder too <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines <laughs> it seems really funny at first but the more I stop to think about it she kind of was Oh, yeah, I guess so. She was oh, my of, gosh, yeah. I, know, I never really thought about this, but she was trapped in a mirror where the only thing she could do was play back things that had already she'd already seen. Mm. It was taking in information and regurgitating it back out. No ability to create new content inadvertently. She was kind of trapped in a... Like, it's, a good it, point. it's maybe a little bit of a stretch of a metaphor, mm. but like it's not a million miles away uh. to say that she was maybe trapped in a tape recorder. Uh. And, like, this is the thing, is the first few times, up until this viewing, I never got that reading. I just thought it was Peridot being just nasty because, oh, it's Peridot, I don't want to forgive her. And it was a purely harsh gesture, but there might actually be something to it in the, like, you know, you don't get what I've been through aspect of it maybe yeah like possibly. It's, it's still a jerkish gesture to take something that was clearly such a sincere thought out gift and crush it but it might not be as thoughtless as it seems on the surface yeah like there was a negative memory attached to that item it wasn't yeah. just oh this is something from paradox yes um so lapis calls it garbage and crushes it um lapis shouts at paradox says what can I do for you? Basically, like, what what can I do? Tell me and I'll do it. How can I make up, up for what I've done? Lapis says, just go. And Peridot resigns herself and just says, okay. She accepts, like, I messed up. I did some really bad things. If this is what it takes to make up for what I've done, so be it. This is me paying for what I've done. It's a very mature moment from her, and it shows kind of a level of sacrifice. Yeah. She's obviously comfortable in the band, she likes the band, but she's willing to just be like, okay, fine, I will leave if that's what you want. Yeah, and it's not even like a, oh, fine, with like a sigh. It's, yeah. it's just a very, like, she takes a breath and goes, okay, and just does it. Yeah, it's like and a quiet acceptance. It is really sweet and sad. Um... And then the home world red eye turns up yeah. and the trapping vessel bursts through the clouds and is chasing Peridot and everything's gone to hell. One thing first, Lapis says, why do you trust her, Stephen? And Stephen says, because I know her. Mm, yeah. Like, I actually know who she is. Yeah, it's like, I trust her because I got to know her. Yeah, took the time. Because that is something that the gems don't do. It's always going guns blazing and 
it doesn't mm, matter who they are. It's always Stephen's thing. Stop yeah. and talk to people. So he's just like, I trust her because I've gotten to know her and I know that she's yeah. worth my trust. So as this tracking vessel continues to follow uh, Peridot, Lapis, vacant eyes, destroys the ship like it's nothing. Her eyes just go white and she like raises up this swimming pool of water, make a, makes a fist. You feel like she's going to angrily like smash the thing and she just flicks it. Mm-hmm. She's just like, no, this is, this is nothing to me. <laughs> and it's this reminder of like, Lapis is powerful, but she's also really able to distance herself from what she's doing. She's able to just be like, nope, this is what I have to do. I'm out of it for a second. This was nothing done. Yeah. She's very able to emotionally detach herself from the powerful acts she is capable of. One thing I want to mention, um, when the Rubii actually finds them through the giant hole in the roof, which they completely overlook as that being an option to be found. But um, when it finds them, Peridot says, holy smokes. And then when Amethyst arrives, Amethyst goes, holy smokes. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Who so, picked it up from who? Yeah, because I think it'll be Peridot that's copying Amethyst because she admires Amethyst. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So I think that Peridot's like mimicking different things from the Crystal Gems and I just really like that mm-hmm. idea. Uh, One thing that I had missed on the first watch is that when the ruby ship gets slammed to the ground, it creates the baseball field. I never noticed that. Yeah, it it very much does create the baseball field. Um, Lapis asks Peridot if she's okay. Peridot grins like a fool. (laughs) She has the biggest grin. And uh, the eyeball ruby emerges. And we go straight into episode 83, Hit the Diamond. I didn't realise until this point quite how interconnected these five episodes were, because it is it is um, Malachite emerging, fighting Malachite, uh, the cluster emerging, going back, destroying the cluster, Lapis waking up, getting Lapis acclimatised to the house, and the rubies showing up. It's all one very continuous yeah, arc of they episodes. Just, they just roll into the it's, next one. It's almost like we planned yeah, this episode. In, in spite of, like... The issue that comes along with doing Stephen Bombs is that you obviously have big weights between batches of episodes, but I really do kind of like the Stephen Bomb format in that by doing five episodes back to back in a week, you can tell one continuous episode that uh, like story that arcs over five episodes. Yeah, I prefer it honestly. I I do like getting the episodes to be a, like this to be a lot more interconnected and less standalone is really nice. Yeah. Um, the Rubies have varied personalities and gem locations which kind of flies in the face of earlier comments where Ruby fused with the other Rubies on Homeworld and described it as being like me, but bigger, but more. Yeah. Um, these Rubies are a lot more varied than you would imagine for I the think, same, but bigger. I think that could be um, them being classed as defects, perhaps, in the, like, all the Amethysts, how they're all, like, the wrong colours and stuff when they go up to the human zoo. Maybe. I hadn't thought of that, but that's possible. Like, my... Yeah, like, I feel like they're getting desperate, and then the now instead of whatever the hell they used to do with these um, defects, they're actually keeping them, because the gem wall must have wiped out so many gems. My, my reading was slightly different. I assumed that the reason that the homeworld rubies that fused in the... Uh, in that episode with uh, Garnet turning up, 
I assumed that because they were all soldiers for the Royal Guard, they all had to have a very similar temperament, and that's why there was very little difference when they fused, whereas these are more... Because they're in less of a regimented squad position in society, yeah. there's a little more variation allowed in personality. Possibly. Um, Another take on it that I just thought of now, I won't pretend that I had prepared, um, perhaps depending on which kindergarten the rubies come from, mm. the gems are in different mm. places, Person maybe yeah. affects personalities a little bit different. I've written, does gem placement affect personality? That would actually gel with what we see with the amethysts, because the amethysts that came out of the same, the prime kindergarten are as goofy and ridiculous as amethysts, as we learn. Yeah. Mm. So that implies that maybe like the type of soil, for instance, yeah. like changes but how the gem comes out. These are all interesting thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just want to mention, um, when I thought, does the gem placement affect personality, I meant like on the body. Mm. Yeah. And... Um, one way in that that kind of does work elsewhere is that Peridot and Pearl both have gem placements on the forehead. Both of them are very logical-minded. They're good at engineering. So I'm just like, does the gem placement on the body affect... Possibly. ...their personality? It is, like, it is a thought. Um, so Ruby infiltrates the rubies. Uh, we learn that the rubies were sent by Yellow Diamond. Um... Ruby is very nervous about splitting from Sapphire, but, you know, they don't... Garnet doesn't have to discuss the plan, like, between Ruby and Sapphire. They unfuse and they know the plan yeah, because they were Garnet and exactly. Garnet had the plan. Yeah. I do think there's really impressive voice acting on this. Like, obviously mm. the same voice actor plays six different characters in this episode. Mm-hmm. Are, are all the Rubies voiced by the same person? I would think so. You yeah, can hear it so. in the voice. I never really stopped to think about that, but if, if that is de- definitely the case, that's really... Impressive. I have to look that up. But it's it's I... a very like uh, what was the show? Um, Orphan Black is the show that's very yeah. like that, where one person plays multiple different people. Well, I always find that fascinating. Clone Wars as well does a similar thing. Mm. Across Clone Wars, you see dozens and dozens, but all voiced yeah. by one guy. Well, it's also the pearls are all played by one yes, person yeah, as well, yeah. and all their voices sound so different, but also yeah. very similar, which is really cool. And the Zircons, they were played by the same person recently. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. So, we learn very early on that the, that rubies are infantry soldiers that are not the smartest tools in the shed. Um, not the smartest, the sharpest tools in the shed. Um, <laughs> as, as demonstrated very early on in the episode by there are meant to be five of us. One, two, three, four, five. Yep, that's fine. And forgetting to count itself as six and realise that there's a problem. Yeah. They're not the, the smartest of soldiers. No. Um, One thing that I have written, again, to do with gem placement, um, the ruby that has the gem in her belly button mm. is very feminine and gentle, Ooh. such as Stephen. He might be on to something. <laughs> um. And um, the arm ruby is also quite aggressive and angry, whereas like our ruby, who has it in her hand... Is also quite aggressive and angry. That's interesting. I'm going to put my thought into this. Yeah, (laughs) like, I've written down the different kind of personality types for the different locations here. I I do think that's a thing worth worth thinking about as we Mm -hmm. go forward, yeah. And also, one last thing about the rubies. Um, Chest ruby, which is the boss, which also may tie into amethyst, uh, technically the highest up. 
mm. of their group. She has her a chest ruby, not ruby, Jen. chest am Jen. That's it. <laughs> and um, the one who has the chest ruby is the boss. But she also has the spiky glasses like Garnet. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that straight away and was kind of like, oh my god, that's where <laughs> you get your ideas. Um, so Ruby is scared of going alone, uh, nervous and. Sapphire's like, no, you can do this. I believe in you. Mm. Um, it's don't don't worry about that barn over there. It's a barn full of humans. It's humans. terrible at lying. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a great liar. Um, hey, I am a human. If you want to go in our barn, you're gonna have to play baseball. It's a human thing. And if you win, you enter the barn. If you lose, you leave forever. That's how humans do things. And they just go with it. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to argue with the local customs. Mm. Maybe they're going to get disintegrated by a laser if they disagree. They they don't know. Yeah, you do things how they're done on that planet. Um, so we then get the uh, the the team of humans that are going to be playing baseball: Stephen, Earl, <laughs> Amy, Bob, and Sophie. Um, Earl, Pearl, Amethyst, Amy. Lapis Bob, which is from that No Prob Bob yeah. comment. It's a callback to like episode 12 or something. <laughs> 50 or 60 episodes ago. It's a long time ago. Um, and Sapphire Sophie. All the Rubies are called Ruby. We are the team of Ruby, 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 and Ruby. See, that piece is really funny, but I also like that you do see their personalities and how they announce their Yeah. Name. It's yeah, even though they're all called and... Ruby, we still know which Ruby is which yeah. Ruby. Um, I just wanted to say something about this. I've never understood how baseball is played. This episode makes baseball's rule set seem really simple. Yeah, I, I... this like they do a really good job of like explaining the rules of a sport in a way that is digestible and understandable. That was my understanding of mm-hmm. baseball, but I've never played it. I've yeah. picked it up from again. TV. I've never played it, but this makes it seem really understandable and digestible. I softball, but I think it's different. Yeah, it's similar. It's because at my school we played it with a baseball. Right. I remember because someone once got clunked on the head and ended up having to go to hospital oh, because like the eyebrows swelled up like massively wow. where it hit them. Well, like, if, if anyone um, doesn't know, like, baseball is just not a thing in Britain. Yeah, we we don't do it. Yeah, we have no baseball teams. Yeah. It's not broadcast on TV. Um, no one really plays it. So, Ruby, our Ruby, throws all of her hits for the, for the gems. She just deliberately misses all her hits to, you know, help the yeah. human team. Um, one thing I want to mention, when Sapphire announces herself as, and I'm Sophie... Multiple of the rubies are in the ruby group blush. They all like a little yeah. bit of Sophie. Um, so I have a question about the rubies. Don't they recognise that these are gems? Yeah, like you would think that like sapphire at least is someone they would. They would recognise what a sapphire looks because like. Sapphire is obviously quite. High up in hierarchy. It, so. it plays. They've always been little soldiers who are just meant to go world to world looking for people left behind. They won't just, have interacted it, with anyone that high up. It plays into as well the whole thing of they're not the brightest yeah. Uh, yeah. bulbs, bulbs I, in I the barn. Took it to be like in their minds logically there is no reason for these to be gems because they've said they're human, so therefore they're human. Yeah, because yeah. gems take things very literally as well. Mm. So lying won't really be a thing as much as yeah. it is for humans. Yeah. Um, 
Amethyst at some point like turns into a ball and flies around the pitch very fast. That purple human is really good. Yeah, that purple human is really good. Um, Sapphire ends up ultimately like being the counter to Ruby throwing shots in that Sapphire is too busy flirting with Ruby to hit the ball properly and yeah. that sort of evens out like ruby throwing hits and like deliberately not hitting things versus sapphire accidentally not hitting things because she's too busy flirting Mm. they somewhat even out yeah uh i had a question about sapphire surely her future vision should help with this she should be able to see where the ball's going to be yeah i guess so i guess it's because she's never been trained in anything like combative combative i guess it could just be due due to kind of the many different ways that the ball could be thrown, so she's not sure where yeah, it's going it, to go. Surely there's a there's a probability though, and she the longer that she watched them playing, the more that she would know what kind of well, she was quite throw. distracted though. She was yeah. quite distracted. She could have been their secret weapon had she tried. Um, and Ruby doesn't want to. Uh, Sapphire doesn't want to look away to do, to keep the eye on the ball. It's like you have to hit this. It's the final, final shot. I believe bottom of the ninth is a phrase yeah. that is like, oh, we're almost at the end of the baseball game. <laughs> I hear that inning. a lot in uh, yeah. baseball talk. Um, and Ruby says, "You can look at me when you're running for home." And it's really sweet. It's like, yeah, hit that <laughs> ball and you can, run, you can run back and run towards me. I love it so uh, much. And Sapphire does it. She hits the ball and gets a home run and runs the whole way round. And then she accidentally garnets. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like uh, when she's just like, oops. Uh, what a turn of events. <laughs> I, I love some of the rubies here. I love yeah. just some of their like out of nowhere sentence fragments. Mm. Um so they combine into a big ruby that has all of the gem locations on one ruby. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rubies came here looking for Jasper, we find out. Not looking for Peridot there, looking for Peridot only to find out where Jasper is. Yeah, I think Peridot's a bit disappointed. Yeah, she's moment. kind of like, well, I'm not important enough to get a team of rubies. I'm, I'm the leader of the crystal gems. Yeah, exactly. Um, Pearl does not seem to be very pleased by that. None of them do. They all kind of look at it just like, what? <laughs> mm. Like, come yeah. again? No, you're do, not. Do you know where Jasper is? She's on Neptune. <laughs> okay, why didn't you say so? Like, they're so quick to accept. Like, we could have avoided this whole baseball match if they'd just been like, what do you, what do you want? We're looking for Jasper. Oh, she's on Neptune. Done. Yeah, bye. <laughs> um, Actually, she's somewhere in the Earth's crust, but oh well. <laughs> yeah. Rubies are dumb. Well, not all of them. No. <laughs> Sweet ending. The end. I, I really like that this is just... This is basically just a way to keep the rubies away for a while and buy them time. Uh, the gems know that the rubies are going to come back because Jasper is not on Neptune. Yeah, it's not exactly a permanent solution. No, but it's like... It's a way to get rid of them, and the show is consistent with it in that they go off to Neptune. Neptune's quite a way away. Mm. They search the whole planet and go, nope, Jasper's not here. And eventually they do come back, and they're like, hey, Jasper wasn't <laughs> on Neptune. It could have been better if Stephen had known more about the galaxy and could have been like, they're in the Andromeda galaxy. Yeah. Now you have to go over there and search there they for many light have. years. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Like, he didn't even think to say Pluto. Yeah, not in the furthest. Although, Pluto is a much smaller planet, so they'd have had to go further, but it would have been quicker to <laughs> search. Yeah. So send him to Jupiter. 
uh, Jasper is on the surface of the sun. Also, sorry about that, listeners. You may have just heard my laptop ping to tell me there's a Java update available. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Uh, anything else we want to say about this episode? No, I'm done. I just really like the line when um, Stephen goes up to Ruby and Sapphire and says, Ruby, stop being cute. <laughs> <laughs> what did I tell you? <laughs> uh, it is a really nice batch of episodes, this one, in that we get... While they're all connected, we do get some really nice up and down in tone. We get the two-episode Malachite fight arc. Uh, We get the, like, Lapis coming to live with the gems arc. We've got the cluster emerging that, like, is solved in an unexpected way. We have a goof... uh, An unexpectedly goofy, let's get rid of these people that seemed like they would be a big threat looking for Peridot. That's going to come back round. A lot of stuff happens in this, but there's time for it to be serious, sweet, and light-hearted over a relatively connected block of episodes. Yeah, it's a good example of what the show can be. We kind of get yeah. a bit of everything. It, it can transition really nicely between all of these these different tones and settings. The only thing we were really missing to like make this batch of episodes a perfect showcase of what the show can do would have been a good song. Oh, yeah. true, there's no song. Yeah, because, like, if we'd thrown a song in here, too, this probably would have been, like, this is what Steven Universe is capable yeah. of being. Watch <laughs> this it. batch of episodes. Yeah. Um, oh, well. Yeah, I think that's everything <laughs> I had to say about these Same episodes. Yeah. yeah, I'm done. Hooray! And with that, we'll probably uh, wrap up for, for this episode. Uh, I've yet to look forward and find out what episodes we have next week, but... <gasps> Mystery... <it'll... laughs> It'll probably be approximately four to five episodes <laughs> again from season three. That seems a good bet. <laughs> uh, we should probably do self-promotion. So, Mia, where are you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at OmiaGod. Oh I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash MiaViolet. I also have a blog, which is MiaViolet.com. And if you want to email us, um, again, thank you for emailing. We've continued to get a lot of emails. It's hello at crystalclodcast.com. Yay! <laughs> Sorry about all these pings. My laptop is doing very strange things. It's still recording. <laughs> That's okay. As long yeah, as it's still I recording. paused it because I was like, is it still recording or am yeah. I talking to so nobody? Here's the fun of, of recording. I'm recording on a four-year-old laptop that blue screened <laughs> mid-sentence at one point. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, Audacity's really good at recovering, but uh, it's fine. Keep going. <laughs> Retta, where are you on the internet? I am super retard pretty much everywhere on the internet. And I'm Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere on the internet. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.